0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good evening. And again, Merry Christmas. It's so good for us to be together here tonight. It is so good to see such a packed church. This is so good. It is so good. we got people up in the choir loft. Hello, choir loft. People, people in the chapel. Hello, chap. You, you, you must have paid extra for these seats, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, friends, it is so good to be together as a family celebrating Christmas together. The, um, gosh, there's so much in my heart. There's so much in my heart that I want to share. There's three things. There's three things that are on my mind tonight, really, in particular that I want to Kind of unpack three things I want to go through, three things I want to draw our attention to. The first is this I hope to give us a renewed sense of awe and wonder at the mystery that we're celebrating. A renewed sense of awe and wonder. That's the first thing. The second thing is I hope to give us a a renewed appreciation for the why. And the third thing is I hope to give us a fuller grasp of, of what your amen means. So, awe and wonder. A deeper sense of the why and a deeper sense of what your amen means if you're keeping score at home. Okay, are we ready? Here's the thing. I was thinking when Deacon was proclaiming the gospel, some of you who are following along, you might have been confused. I I asked Deacon to do the shorter form of the gospel. You're welcome, okay? (laughs) Actually, it's more you're welcome to Deacon, right? So anyway. That's the, that's the final exam for becoming a deacon. Can you pronounce all those names? He would have done it. He would have done it. Anyway, it gives me a little bit more time to get into what I want to share. So here's where I want to start. This question. Why are we here? Why are we here? I don't mean it in like a provocative, existential, philosophical sense of like, what are we doing here? No, I mean in the sense of like, what are we doing here tonight at Christmas Eve Mass? We might all have our own subjective reasons of why we're here. Maybe you're here because it was Mom's only Christmas wish that all of her babies would be here at Mass together. If that's you, good for you. Good for you. We'll be over in, like, two hours. It'll be—you'll you'll get through it. we got our own subjective reasons, possibly, why we're here. But collectively, why we're here, we can say this, that we're here to celebrate, to recognize the Savior's birth. That's why we're here, to recognize the Savior's birth. We're here because God has done something, right? God did something 2,000 years ago in an outpost of the Roman Empire in a region known as Judea, right? God did something. He did something. We heard what he did in the scriptures we have tonight. We all know this story. But let's just be clear. What exactly did he do? (laughs) What exactly did he do? Well, this. God... The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us. God was born. That's what I was expecting. Okay, we need to unpack that. We need to unpack that. Do you hear what I'm saying? God was born. God, the maker of the universe, that's who was born. Try and hear those words with fresh naive ears. Try and hear it. Try to imagine hearing that for the very first time like you've never heard it before. The problem is as Christians for 2,000 years we've been insulated and anesthetized by 2,000 years of tradition that we don't hear the shocking value of those words that God became flesh. No religion in human history ever claimed that. This is novel in a way that nothing else before is novel. God became flesh. God became flesh. On the face of it, it is the most astounding claim that has been seriously believed by vast numbers of people throughout all of human history. It's an insane claim. It's an insane story. What we're doing here is, if, I, if this is not true, if this is just a fable, if this is just to make us feel good and give us a way to cope through hard times... That it's pointless. It's not real. But if this is true, it changes everything, right? If this is true, that God became flesh, it's the truth about everything, and it changes everything. But what exactly are we claiming? What exactly are we trying to say when we say that God became flesh and dwelt among us? Well, we have to wrap our heads around, who is this God that we're talking about? Who is this God that we're talking, about? we're talking about? We're talking about the God of Genesis, the God of Genesis 1 and 2, the God who, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, we're talking about the Creator God. We're talking about the God that we profess to believe in in the Creed where we say he made all things visible and invisible. Have you ever paused to consider, like, the scope of that? All things visible and invisible. That pretty much sums up everything. He points to everything and says, I'm responsible for that. I'm about to throw out some wild numbers at you. I'm about, this, I, I, this is going to be by far the most scientific, nerdy Christmas homily you've ever heard. What's about to come at you. And I was thinking, I'm like, I might lose like all of them. But you know what? I don't care. Right? This stuff is the stuff. This stuff blows my mind. And I'm just like, I have to share this. I have to share this. So if you check out for the next like five minutes, that's okay. Just come on back when I'm done with the science stuff. Deal? Deal? Yeah. All right, here we go. All right, let's start with, let's just start with something. Again, we're trying to wrap our heads around what do we mean by God, the creator of all things visible and invisible. We're going to start with something that none of us can comprehend, okay? I'm going about to say something that's going to fly over every single one of our heads. Okay, everything in the universe is made up of atoms. You remember this from your high school chemistry class? Everything is made up of atoms. I'm made up of atoms. This is made up of atoms. My glasses is made up of atoms, right? Remember atoms, protons, neutrons, electrons? Give me some of this if you're with me. Give me some of this if you're already checked out. (laughs) Stay with me. Stay with me. Easy class. Here we go. So physicists, right? Physicists, those really smart guys, the physicists, they estimate that in the visible universe, the visible universe is made up of what they say approximately 10 to the 82nd number of atoms. That's, that's a one followed by 82 zeros after it. I know, that's how I felt too when I saw that number, right? We, we don't even know what that number means. But that's the, like, in every single one of them, God is holding and being from moment to moment. This is the God that we're talking about, who holds the universe, knitting it together moment to moment. Or how about this? Let's try this on for size. A verse that caught my attention several years ago from Genesis. Genesis 1.16. We're hearing about God creating the heavens and the earth. It says, he made the two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, which is the? The sun. And the lesser light to govern the night, which is the? Very good. Thanks for participating. And then there's a semicolon. And the author of Genesis says, and he made the stars also. I'm sorry, what? Have you ever considered how many stars there are? Semicolon, he made the stars also. Like, what are we? Talk about the most throwaway line in all of Scripture. The author of Genesis is right. Okay, he made the sun. That's good. Okay, what else you do you do? Oh, he made the moon, right? Oh, he made the stars also. How many stars are we talking about? How many stars are we talking about? This God of ours, okay. Our sun, here's a way we can wrap our heads around this. Our sun is about, it's, it's one of about 300 billion-ish stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That's where you all go, whoa. You're playing, this is good, this is good. 300 billion-ish stars in our galaxy. There's approximately 2 trillion galaxies in the visible universe, each with 2 billion-ish stars in it. That's one sextillion stars-ish stars ish that's a one followed by 26 zeros that our God just semicolon made in addition to the sun and the moon. Or think about it this way. Like our sun is, they consider, a relatively small star, right? Into our sun, you can fit about 960,000 Earths. You know, the thing that you're on right now where everything has ever happened that you know of? 960,000 960, Earths can fit into our sun. The largest star that astronomers have found so far is a star that they named Canis Majoris which is Latin for big dog, okay? It's a really good name for a big star. Into Canis Majoris, you can fit seven quadrillion Earths. And I know you're thinking, what's a quadrillion, right? This is how we're going to wrap our head around this. A million seconds ago, if you recount a million seconds ago, you're looking at about 11 and a half days ago. A billion seconds ago is about 31 years ago. A trillion seconds ago is about 31,000 years ago, and one quadrillion seconds ago is about 31 million years ago. And into this one star, you can fit seven quadrillion Earths, seven quadrillion. And this is just one of the billions upon billions upon billions of stars in the universe that's 94 billion light years across and ever expanding, which God brought into existence when he said, let there be light, and there was light. Like, we just cannot comprehend the scale of this. And, like, what's my point? This is where you can check back in, right? Here you go. Science people who just left left us, right? Here's my point. Only this. Like, all of us, whenever we have a concept of God, we all develop a concept of God. Whatever your concept of God is, I'm telling you tonight, it's woefully inadequate. It's not nearly big enough. Like, the God who did all of that, the God who banged out the Big Bang, the God who, semicolon, made the stars also, the God who holds 10 to the 82nd atoms in being from second to second, from moment to moment, like that God is who and what became flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? Like that's who's lying in the manger. Like the God who said let there be and there was is the same God who pours himself out, who empties himself into creation, that is what's lying in the manger. And at one point, he was himself no bigger than a poppy seed in his own mother's womb. Like every single one of us, that at one point, God, after nine months, was birthed into this world. He was born and he chose not like palatial opulence He didn't choose the palace. He chose brutal poverty. He chose the cold. He chose the stable. He chose to be surrounded by the beasts and the shepherds and the magi to lie upon the manger, right? If you are normal, this should astound you. (laughs) If your heart and your mind are remotely, properly calibrated, this should stun you into silence. That God who encircled Saturn with the rings, at some point smelled like a newborn baby and couldn't lift up his head. And the question is, why? Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why did he come to us? We could give many answers to to fight our ancient foe, to throw down the enemy, to defeat sin and death, to save us from hell, to rescue us from a tyrant far worse than Pharaoh, far worse than anybody who's ever arisen in history, right? He's rescued us. That's who he is. He's the rescuer. He came to divinize us, to join our nature to his nature, that we might be filled with divine life. All of that is true. All of that is true. But all of that gets kind of complicated when you want to spend some time thinking about it. If I could sum it up like this, I'd say this, that he came wrapped in frail newborn flesh because because love does crazy things. Love does crazy things. It was St. Catherine of Siena, who she described God, she would say, he's pazzo di more. Pazzo di more. He's crazy in love. Love does crazy things. It's, for those of you who are old enough to remember the movie, Say Anything, John Cusack holding up the boombox kind of crazy thing, right? It's, It's the, I will walk 500 miles and I'll do it again just to be the one to fall down at your door kind of a crazy thing. It's, love pushes us to do crazy things. Love is extravagant. Like the inner thrust of love for anybody who's ever felt love or fallen in love, love pushes us towards totality. That's what it does. That's why people, that's why people, when they fall in love, they eventually come and stand in front of an altar and say crazy things like, I give myself to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, for rich or for poor, all the days of my life. All the days of my life? What a crazy thing to say. What a crazy thing to do. But love pushes us towards totality. Love pushes us towards this extravagant, extravagant gift. And there's, there is no one who's more extravagant than God who is love. He is the most extravagant. He is the most romantic. That what he did out of love for us, he wraps himself inside the most unexpected. Right? In newborn flesh, that first Christmas that we might know that love would be willing to go that far. It's an insane move. It's as if he's saying from the manger, God is speaking to us. Don't you see? Don't you get it? Have you, do you grasp yet my heart for you? Like, have you fathomed yet that there is nothing that I'm unwilling to do for you? There's nothing I'm willing to, not unwilling to suffer for you. There's no distance I'm not willing to go to rescue you. Have you not grasped yet that I'm not interested in taking life from you? I've come here to give my life. Do you see where I am? He's saying, I'm lying in a manger, a feeding trough. He's saying, I've come not to squash your desires or to squash your hunger. I've come to feed your deepest hungers and to satisfy your deepest thirsts. And friends, here on this Christmas Eve night, in this Christmas Eve Mass, we continue to proclaim the astounding claim that God has come to us and he continues to come to us. Because here's what we believe, right? That the same God who leapt down from the heights of heaven into the womb of the Virgin Mary to be born in the stable, that same God will leap down in just a moment from the heights of heaven to this altar to hide himself yet again in frailty, in something so unassuming, in bread and wine. Why? To give himself to you. This the Eucharist is is it's crazy. It's crazy for God to be that vulnerable. You and I, we are never that vulnerable. He's saying, here's everything that I have, with no conditions given. Like apparently, love just it, it never tires of showing us that it's willing to go that far for us. Like the whole Christmas story, friends, the insanity of the Christmas story that I'm laying out here. It's all being given to you tonight. This is not a memorial. We are not commemorating something. We are participating in something as, as intensely as the shepherds with the same reality. And all you have to do is step forward and say, Amen. Like me or deacon or the ministers will we'll hold up this host as fragile as the newborn Christ and will say, The body of Christ. All you have to do is say, Amen. And all of Christmas, all of Jesus, all of heaven is given to you. And the question then is, what are you saying yes to? What does your amen mean? What does it mean? Like if all of this is true that I'm saying, what does it mean for you to step forward tonight and say amen? Your yes means this. Your amen, at the very least, it means I believe this whole astounding story is true. I believe that this is true. I believe that it is true that somehow, in in ways I can't comprehend, 2,000 years ago, God entered into humanity, and he struck it with such a blow that he split time in two so that nothing that came after him was the same. Your amen means that. Your amen means I believe this is true. It means, like, I will let you love me. Your amen means I will let you love me. I will let myself be loved. I will let myself be seen. I will let myself be known, even though that's the scariest thing for us. You're saying yes. You're saying amen to Jesus, to his desire to be with you. You're saying, I will let you come close. When you say amen, when you say yes tonight, you're saying, I consent, Jesus, to your desire. To come home with me. Like if you came to Mass tonight with six people in your car, you're going home with seven. Like he wants to go home with you. He wants to live life with you. That's what your amen means. Yes, Jesus, I want you to come home with me. I want you to share life with me. Your amen means you're declaring that your life matters. Because it matters to him because he came for you. It means that, that coming to know Jesus and his heart and his mind and seeking to live in friendship with him, it's the most important thing that you could do. Your amen says, I can't just say that this is real and, hear it and, and live my life as if it's not. Your amen means that the deepest desires of your heart matter. Because they matter to him because he came to feed your heart and to satisfy your desires. It means that your heart's need for love and for affirmation and for kindness and for forgiveness and for a chance to start over, it means that all of that finds a place in him. Friends, tonight, as we celebrate Christmas as a family, we declare again like our hope in this story. This is the most crazy story that there's ever been. We declare our hope in this story. We declare our 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 allegiance to the story, that this is true, that I stake my life on this. That the God of the universe became flesh. Why? Because love does crazy things like that. To get close, to get as close to you as possible. And that has to mean something. If this is true, that has to mean something. It has to mean something for us. So friends, I pray that tonight you are overwhelmed and filled with new awe at the God of who is pazzo di more? he's crazy, in love with you. Amen.